to Acts chapter 16. This is going to be a story. You probably have heard this story many, 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 many times. It's a great one that's used in Sunday school uh, all the time, children's church, that sort of thing. It is the story of Paul and Silas in prison. Now you might say, Pastor, that doesn't seem like a thankful message. We'll get there. Because we need to follow the example that they set, not what we would like to do. See, they set the example. Paul writes about it later when he writes the church to the letter to the church in Philippi. Rejoice again, I'll tell you, rejoice. He had every reason to tell them complain, and yet he tells them to rejoice. And this is one of the examples where he shows us how we are supposed to be living. We're in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to start in verse 22 and read down through verse 30. It reads, the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. There's a number of times Paul was beaten with rods throughout his life after he's a convert. This is one of them. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You've probably, when you've heard this story told, it focuses more around what God did, right? Which is awesome. An earthquake that shakes. It's got to be so specific that it doesn't break anything else except the doors and the shackles. That's it. Isn't that incredible that God can do that? That's not what we're going to talk about much today, though. Number one on your note sheets, setting the scene. In the verses prior to this, we see that Paul and Silas are in Thyatira. And they're going about doing what Paul and his various companions did. Preached the gospel to anybody that would listen and people that would not. Kicked out of many, many synagogues, temples, other places throughout Acts. Read throughout Acts. So they're in Thyatira, which is in, the, in Europe, and they convert people. It's going great. And eventually, there's a girl who has the gift of fortune-telling. She actually is indwelled with an evil spirit. And Paul and Silas are going around preaching, and this woman is following them. And if I can find it really quick, I'll tell you exactly what she says. Um, i got to find it here. I probably should have been ready. I wasn't. Oh, well. It's in the preceding verses. If you want to find it at some point, you can. But she's mocking them, talking about how they're following the one true God. She's mocking them. And Paul does something that I can relate to. He just gets really annoyed and turns around and casts the spirit out of her. He doesn't do it because he's like, this woman is under some persecution, I must save her. He does it because he's annoyed enough that he finally just goes, shut up! And the spirit is cast out of her. 
Now he could do that because he was walking in the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God didn't want that to happen, would it have happened? Of course not. The Spirit's the one who did it, not Paul. God did it, not Paul. But Paul, you know, we all have reasons. You read Peter does things and this stuff like, Paul, this is one of the impulsive moments Paul has. He doesn't have a lot of them, but this is one of them where he's just like, you're annoying me. Leave. And the Spirit has to. The problem is, this woman was making quite a lot of money for her slave masters, and they're no longer happy because there's no more money coming in. So they get up some trumped-up charges to get Paul and Silas thrown in prison. And that's where we find Paul and Silas. That's how they got there. I wanted to bring that up. One, because context, we set the scene. But two, because I want to point out that if you are walking a Christian life, two things, maybe three. If you are walking a Christian life, it will take trumped up charges for people to come against you. They will have to take things and warp them. Because you are walking correctly. You are walking right. If you read the charges, they talk about how they are messing up their festivals and they're doing this and they're going against this. And is it true? Yes. But it says they're inciting riots and such. That's not true. They take parts of truth, add, add those lies in there to get the government officials against Paul and Silas. Because money was involved. Church, whenever you are walking the life of a Christian and walking that walk, people will be set up against you, will set themselves up against you, and if you're doing the right thing, you're going to face some lies. Notice also, if you read in it, do Paul and Silas defend themselves from the lies? Nope. Do Paul and Silas say, well, this isn't fair. You're beating us with rods and throwing us in prison. We haven't done anything wrong. Nope. They followed the example that Jesus set. I'm not saying there aren't times to get lawyers and stuff involved in things, but I am saying that if somebody is directly attacking your Christian character, your job is not to defend yourself. Your job is to keep preaching the gospel. That's your job. It's my job. So that's the scene we find ourselves in. So number two on your note sheets, in jail, in jail. Paul and Silas are beaten with rods, thrown into prison in the deepest part of the prison, the worst part of the prison. And that's where we find them. And what, is, what we find them doing is singing hymns and praises to God. I don't know about you, but when I'm in really tough situations that are unfair to me, my initial reaction is not to praise God for them. My initial reaction is, why is this happening? I don't deserve this. Somebody else should be getting to blame for this. You know, pick your favorite uh, excuse. But the fact of the matter is that Paul and Silas have been beaten. I've never been beaten. Probably deserved one or two in my life, but I've never been beaten. If thrown in prison, that's also never happened to me. And they're worshiping God. I like to think that if that ever happens to me, I'm thrown in prison because of my faith, that I'm going to sing praises to God. I like to think that's what I'm going to do. I don't know. I've never been in that situation. But I pray that God gives me the strength to do it. But here's Paul and Silas giving thanks to God. That's what praising and worshiping is. Worshiping him is thanking him. They're giving thanks. 
You see, when we go around, I, maybe you guys have this tradition, maybe you don't. But I've been to people's houses and stuff where for Thanksgiving, right, you go around the table and they all say what they're thankful for. There's probably about 25 to 30 of us in here. So I'd like us to take the next 45 minutes and we're all going to go around and say what we're thankful for, okay? But I bet if we did, none of you would go, yeah, I'm really thankful for the fact that I don't know if I'm going to make ends meet this month. I'm really thankful for the fact that it just snowed and my snowblower doesn't work yet. I'm really thankful for the fact that, oh, I'm really thankful for the fact that I have neuropathy in my toes. I just, I love that fact about it. Nope. We say good things we're thankful for, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand. There is nothing wrong. In fact, you should be thanking God always for the good things in your life. I'm very thankful that I have two incredible families, my biological family and my in-laws, that side of my family. I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful that I have an incredible church family. I'm very thankful that I have an incredible wife. I'm very thankful that God allows me to live the life that I live, that I have a roof over my head, that my furnace works. I'm very thankful that when I go back over there in an hour or so, There'll be food in my fridge for lunch. I am very thankful that I have three cats. I'm very thankful that my Christmas tree has been up since November 2nd. I'm very thankful for all these things, but the fact of the matter is we don't think to be thankful for the hard things in our lives because we're not thankful for them. We don't think to be thankful for them because we aren't thankful for them. That's not the word, the term you would use to describe it. And yet here are Paul and Silas. Now, are they probably thanking God that they're in prison? I don't know if that made their list. But I bet you they're thanking him for the demon that got cast out of the woman earlier. And they're thanking him for the first converts in Europe. Starting in verse 14, the, the heading of this passage is first convert in Europe. That's what they're doing in Thyatira. They're thanking God. Now, I'm sure they thank God. He, Paul has talked about in other places that he thanks God for the hardships. And we just read in James, right? Compute, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and tribulations. That's being thankful for the trials and tribulations. So we are commanded to be. But I'm not saying that in every situation you need to go, praise Jesus, thank you for this. Because sometimes you won't be. But I am saying that in the midst of the hardship, be thankful. I'm probably going to botch this line up. My grandma told me this line once, and it changed my viewpoint on everything. God never calls you to be thankful or joyful for everything, but to be thankful and joyful in everything. That one word makes a whole lot of difference. And Paul and Silas are thankful in their circumstances. Not necessarily for them, but in them. They're giving thanks in them. And here's the incredible thing. When we're giving thanks continually, God shows up. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that you're going to get the earthquake that you need for everything. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen and they don't get a resolution, quite frankly, because this world is hard and it stinks. But oftentimes, you will see God show up and give exactly what needs to happen. You see, did Paul and Silas get out of prison because of the earthquake? No. But did a man and his family come to Jesus because of the earthquake? 
If you read the following verses, they do. The earthquake wasn't for Paul and Silas. The earthquake was for the unbeliever. Now, yes, Paul and Silas benefited from it. I'm sure they loved to have those shackles off of their feet. So those that ever been in stocks, they're painful. I'm sure they were very happy to have that done. I'm sure they were happier that people came to Christ because of it. God shows up. And when God shows up, recognize this. When God shows up, it is very rarely for you. It is for the people around you. He uses you. He used Paul and Silas. But it was for the jailer and the people that the jailer knew, his family. When God shows up, it is not nearly as often to benefit you as it is to benefit the people around you. You already have the greatest benefit you could get in that you know him. He wants everybody else to know him too. But God usually doesn't show up when we're complaining. Why? Because we won't be willing to be the door to shine the light that God wants shown when we're complaining, when we're focusing on the bad. But when we're focusing and being thankful, God can shine through us. Number three, because I mentioned not last week, but the week before, that we need practical application at the end of our sermons. Let's apply it to you and me, but the word is you to fill in the blank. Let's apply it. First off, this isn't necessarily a practical thing you can do, like, oh, I'm, today I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk to this person. No. It's more of a psychological, spiritual, mental thing. Trust in God. Paul and Silas are doing the work God had asked them to do in the place he had asked them to do it when he asked them to do it. And they're beaten and thrown in jail. And they trust God through it. And then, when the earthquake comes, and the, the, the prison cells are broken, and the shackles are broken, they stay, because they trust God. Now, you could say, what if God wanted them to go? You're right. If God had wanted them to go, they should have gone. But did God want them to leave that jail yet? No. He didn't. The Bible doesn't say that the Spirit came down and laid upon their hearts that they should stay. I kind of think it's possible this way. Paul, we don't know much about Silas, but we know Paul was a very intelligent individual who knew Roman law and etiquette very well, who knew this jailer would be killed and probably the jailer's family as well if all of the convicts escaped. And Paul said, my freedom, your freedom is not worth their lives. We're staying put. And if we can convince anybody else to stay put, we will. And notice Paul's wording down in verse 28. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. That implies that not a single prisoner left their cells. They stayed. I think Paul and Silas had something to do with that. God oftentimes uses the circumstances around us to show us what we should be doing. We need to be paying attention and then trust God when we know what we're supposed to be doing. Here's the thing. Did Paul know this jailer was going to get saved when he stayed behind? Of course he didn't. 
he stayed anyway because God very rarely illuminates more than one step at a time. You've got to trust God that after that step, the next step will be there. And the next step will be there. I have two incredible fears in my life. I am terrified of heights. Horrified. When I was 18 or so years old, I fell off an extension ladder. And since then, I have been terrified of heights. I enjoy seeing the views when I'm up high. I don't like getting there or coming back down. My other fear, and it applies to this trusting thing, I hate not being able to see where I am going. I despise being blindfolded. I despise the dark. I'm not scared of the dark. I'm scared of not being able to see. If I'm cleaning off a car windshield and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, I don't just clean off the driver's side. I clean off my side too. Now, if I'm driving, I only clean off my side. But if I'm not driving, I clean off my side as well. Or if I'm in the back seat, I clean off my window. I am terrified of not being able to see. If, if, if Maddie was ever like, I want to surprise you, put this blindfold on, I'd be like, find a different way. It's not happening. It has nothing to do with whether I trust you or not. I'm just terrified. And it applies as well to my spiritual life. I am terrified of not knowing what the next step is. I want to know what the whole, I love going by the seat of my pants, but I also want to know what the steps are before I jump in. And the fact of the matter is that God very rarely shows us more than one step. And sometimes, church, and this is when I get really scared, he doesn't even show us the step. He just says, walk, and you've got to take a step. And there's just darkness. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to walk. The first thing we can take from this is trust in God. He knows what he's doing. And yes, sometimes it doesn't end up for our what we believe is our betterment. Sometimes the road is difficult. Most of the time, the road is difficult. And you won't know what the next step is or the step after that. God's not asking you to know what the next step is. He's asking you to take the step he's told you to take now. And he'll take care of the next one. And see, the great thing is, the way that I've always viewed it, we're on a line, right? And we've got to take this next step. The great thing is the steps behind us don't get dark again. So I can turn around and go, oh yeah, I remember all of those steps. I got to take the next one. Trust in God. The second one, and this is a more practical thing that you can do. Practice thanksgiving. How many of you know the hymn, Count Your Blessings? Right? It's a great hymn. Name them one by one. How many of you actually do it? Let me give you a secret. If you're ever lying in bed and you can't fall asleep for the life of you, you've done everything you know how to do. And trust me, this happens to me fairly often. Once or twice a week, I just can't fall asleep. My brain's going too much. Can't get it to shut down. You know what always gets it to shut down? I just start thanking God for every single blessing I can think of. The big to the small. And I tell you what, I go to sleep. Because before you know it, you're just lost in it. And I'm no longer thinking about the things that are making my mind run. And my mind calms down, and I can go to sleep. The other times that I do it, 
and I do my best to do this, is when I'm frustrated, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed. I've talked about it before from this pulpit. I struggle with depression. I always have. And I find those struggles intensified when I'm focusing on me and on the bad things. And the point is I need to focus and give thanks for the good things. I'm not saying that it cures depression. I'm not saying that it cures anxiety. I am saying you will be more anxious and depressed and stressed if you're not thanking God. Because it's easy to go, well, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And, and oh my gosh. And you forget all about the fact that, hey, do you have clothes on your back? I saw a thing the other day. And I don't know how many of this applies to you guys, but if you have $1,000 or more to your name in a bank account, in savings, in a car, in anything, you are in the 97th percentile of the world's wealth. You are more wealthy than almost the entirety of the world. Now, we think about the fact that, oh, well, Bill Gates has this, and Jeff Bezos has this, and yada, 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 and you're right, they've got a lot of wealth. But if you have $1,000 tied up somewhere, you are more wealthy than 96% of the world. Essentially, living in America makes you more wealthy than 96% of the world. Maybe you should give thanks for that. Now, yeah, I fully understand. Sometimes you go, I don't know if I'm going to make ends meet. And you're going, how can you sit there and say I'm that rich when I don't know if I'm going to make ends meet this month? I get it. But maybe you should thank God that you're not a starving child in Haiti or Africa or somewhere else. Maybe you should thank God that he allowed you to be born in the greatest country that has ever existed in terms of its freedoms and its prosperity. No matter what you might think of Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whoever, you still live in this country. Practice giving thanks. And if I may give you a few, I didn't write these on there, so you might want to write these down. A few things that I do when I'm giving thanks. Be as specific as possible. Don't go, God, thank you for my life. No, 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 no. Unless you are literally thanking him that you are alive. That's good too. But don't just go, thank you for my life. Say, Father, thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I have this. Thank you that I have... Be specific with what you're being thankful for. One, it helps you elongate the number of things you're thankful for. And two, it forces you to think about it. Search and find it. Because there will be times when you don't feel thankful. The other thing that I do is say things out loud. Do not be afraid or ashamed or embarrassed to say things out loud. It helps you to make it real to yourself. You can think it in your head. How many of you have ever been trying to pray and you're doing it silently and you just keep going all over the place? Right? I do it all the time. But when you're praying out loud, it's so much easier to keep on track. Why? Because you're saying it out loud. There's scientific stuff behind it that I don't understand that I'm not going to try to get into and explain. But the fact of the matter is we were made to be out loud people. One other thought, and this has actually nothing to do with the sermon. I just want you to think about this. You don't have to answer the question out loud. When you think, does the voice in your head sound like you? Mine does. 
Maddie's does not. She's like, it doesn't sound like me. And I'm like, good for you. Mine sounds like me. I, I have to listen to myself all the time. Think about that the next time you've got a thought in your head. Does it sound like your voice? Not talk like you, like use your language. No, no. Sound like your voice, that your voice sounds like to you. Think about it sometime. But be specific. Say it out loud. And pick a time of day to do it so you make sure you do it every day. Do it in certain circumstances. I'm not saying don't, don't be spontaneous with it. Do it in certain circumstances. But until you are in the practice of doing it, choose the time of day. May I suggest when you're doing your devotions, it makes it easier. You don't have to do it for 20 minutes. 30 seconds is enough. Just get in the habit of it. And if you, as you start, choose a specific time to do it. So you do it at the same point every single day. Now I warn you, if you do that, there will be many, many things that come up to try to take that time from you. Do not let it. Ah, uh, this has happened. I uh, can't do it anymore. Sure you can. Maybe you've got to move it back a half an hour. Maybe you've got to move it forward a half an hour. But ensure that you are doing it. Make it your priority. Where you spend your time is where your priorities are. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. I'm not talking about you work an eight-hour job and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about you get roughly three to four free hours a day between work and sleep. You usually, the average person gets three to four hours, free hours a day. How do you spend those hours? That is your priority. Whether you want to believe it or not, that's your priority. So if you say, now if you're single and you go, well, I want to use those two of those hours to work and get a couple extra bucks in my pocket, more power to you. You're single. Let work be your priority right now. As a husband, those three to four extra hours got to go to my wife. Now, so a lot of times we do things that I enjoy, but they go to her because she's my priority. If and when we have kids, it switches and it goes to them, so on and so forth. Make it a priority for 30 seconds, a minute, a day. I'm not asking for those three hours. I'm asking for one minute. Make it a priority to be thankful and thank God. Thank him for the good things. Thank him for the bad things, but more importantly, thank him in the bad things because you are still his child. And if you can't, let me give you one more, one more. If you can't think of something to be thankful for, your roof is gone, it blew off in a tornado. The clothes off your back were burned in a fire. The, there are horrible things that happen, do not misunderstand me. If you can't find something to be thankful for, be thankful that you're his. Because there is no greater thing than that. You could lose everything. Think of Job, you could lose everything and you're still his. You can't lose that. And that's the ultimate thing to be thankful for. And if you can't think of something, thank him for that, because it's never going away. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. I thank you that you allow us to come together. I thank you for the life that you allow me to lead, for my wife, for, for this church, for my family, both sides of it, for the whole kit and caboodle. I ask, Father, that you would remind us to be thankful in things. Not necessarily for everything, but in everything, be thankful. I pray you would remind us to be thankful because sometimes we need it. A lot of times we need it. 
And finally, Father, I pray that you would bless our drives home. Keep us safe on a snowy morning. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.